All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. You're listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Welcome, everybody, to Dropping the Gloves, official podcast of HockeyFights.com. Very excited today. We have a former Michigan Tech grad. Now, we don't get many Michigan – grad? Can I say grad, Andy? You can say grad. You can call me uh, reject, whatever you whatever you want, whatever works. <laughs> we got a reject here, Andy Sutton. <laughs> no, Andy Sutton's kind enough to join us. He, he's had a decade-long career in the NHL, decade-plus. More importantly, he went to Michigan Tech. We'll dig into all that. Andy's calling from Nashville right now. What's going on, Andy Sutton? Thanks for joining the show. Hey, guys. My, my pleasure. Yeah, li- trying to, trying to live, uh, live well amidst all the craziness here, but it's, uh, we're definitely in a, in a spot where things have remained somewhat normal, which, which feels nice because my, my family's still back in Canada, and it's, uh, it's pretty crazy what they're dealing with. I'm glad you didn't say I'm just trying to live my best life because we were going to have to end the interview very, very quickly. Shortest one on record, but I'm glad you pivoted because I can't stand those sayings like that. Tim says them all the time. No, you I don't. Live- Come on. YOLO, Tim. YOLO, baby. Yeah, I say that all the time. What you'll know is you sh- if you're living your best life, you really shouldn't have to try that hard. It should be a little bit more natural and intuitive. Yeah. If you're Tim's trying- a millennial, so he's yeah. just he's all about those little slogans, right, Tim? Yeah. You're a millennial too, John. We learned that. We covered that. No. No, definitely not. So let's just jump into, we were talking before you came on about St. Michael's. You you were born in London, Ontario, bounced around a little bit because of your family's work situation. Very similar to mine. I was born in Edmonton. We bounced around because of my dad's job. We went from the West to the East and kind of settled down. We lived in my grandma's house for a while and blah, blah, blah. We had a very similar trajectory. What brings you to Michigan Tech? Because when I went to Tech, there was very few Canadians you must have been there when there was no Canadians, in my opinion. What got you to Tech? You were playing for St. Michael's Buzzers, which is a Tier 2 league in Canada. How do you get to Northern Michigan from there? Well, you know, the I, I was never drafted anywhere. So I never got drafted to the OHL. Um, I would say I was a late bloomer, and I don't know if it was just being big. It took me time to, like, get used to my body or whatever. But even when I was at St. Mike's, like, I was playing as a forward. Um, I was still, like, I think relatively un- unsure of, you know, what I was going to do with hockey. So I ended up having a halfway decent year and I, I got an offer to go to tech and then I got an offer to go to Brown. Well, we couldn't afford to go to Brown. Um, so I took a partial, partial scholarship to tech, but there was nothing else on the table. I mean, there was nothing else available for me. 
Um, but I loved it. You know, I went up there and I, I happened to go up for a, my visit on uh, for Winter Carnival, which was oh. great. Right. So, I mean, how do you say no when you get to experience tech during Winter Carnival? So it was an easy decision for me. Um, and I really had aspirations to, you know, to, to really enrich myself scholastically. Like I really did want to, you know, do some things there. And I didn't know hockey was going to be the thing that was going to be my thing. So I wanted to make sure I was insulated. And I think that was always kind of preached on to me too by my parents, like, Hey, like, let's figure out a way to get an education out of this. And, and, you know, in hindsight, guys, it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because I was able to go up there and kind of hide a little bit, you know, it's way up in the UP and, and, um, you know, I happened to have, you know, a couple of, couple coaches that really helped me along the way there. I wouldn't say that every coach I ever had has helped me, but I had a couple there that, that really helped me. And there were a couple of pivotal things that happened while I was up there. I think one, I was able to work on my skills playing on the big ice, Johnny, as I'm sure you can attest, like as a big player, you learn to chase all these little, you know, those little bunny rabbits around. I mean, it helps a big guy learn how to be a better skater, which I think helped me a lot in my, in my life after um, collegiate hockey. And then I think just working the sort of like school life balance that you've got to do when you're also trying to become an engineer, because you don't know if you're going to play hockey, you know, after school's over, was a really incredible, you know, sort of more global education. Um, and I think just kind of coming out of that, um, having that, that sort of small town feel and then, you know, getting a chance to, to go play in the NHL was, it just felt like such a, such a gift. I was so thankful for it. Yeah. Michigan tech at that time was in the WCHA and we would play on these massive Olympic sheets in, in Denver, in Colorado and Alaska. And there was a few other ones. And these teams, like when I played, there would be the, these, like you said, just speedsters. I think it, everyone thinks that a bigger ice surface is not beneficial for a big guy, but I, I think it works out because you have a little more room to kind of maneuver a little bit. Whereas if you're in tight quarters, it, it's hard for a big guy to maneuver. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I know when I, when I talk to the skill guys, they prefer a smaller ice sheet. They, they don't like going overseas and playing on the Olympic rink because it gives a defense more time to set up. It gives people more time to, you know, keep you on the outside. So I don't know. I enjoyed the big sheet for whatever reason. It gave me time to kind of get my gap. Maybe my mistakes weren't amplified as much as they are in like a small little area. Did you find being a big guy, it was easier to go out and play in Alaska where you have like miles of ice? I did, you know, and I kind of think of it this way, like I'll, I'll go the odd time now and go mess around with some of the young guys like in a three-on-three rink. And if, you, if you're not moving quickly and you don't have all the pieces like firing and you're, you know, you, you're kind of exposed in that environment. And like despite where I, where I played and everything like that, I can go out there with a bunch of 16-year-old kids and look like the worst, worst player in a three-on-three game. So, you know, then on the big sheet, I think to, to what you're saying, John, is like, you know, you've got, a, you've got that extra, you know, second maybe to make a play. Um, so you're, you're not so forced to be, to be as exposed, which I think also can help you gain confidence. And then I think just being big and also being able to work on your angles and your gap and stuff like that, like eventually they got to come through you to, to score because the shots from the perimeter don't go in. So it's still the same game inside the dots, but I think as you learn to, um, you know, save your energy and think about where you're positioning your body and stuff like that, you can become even more valuable as a big player playing on the big sheet. What's up, guys? If you're like me, you've probably been playing fantasy sports for a long time. I've been playing for 10, 15 years now, and I've been using Yahoo. I've been using ESPN. I'm using Fantrax for really the first time. It's incredible. Being a commissioner of the league, the things that you can customize, it is the best tool I've ever seen for keeper leagues, dynasty leagues, redraft, all that kind of stuff. Um, our league is full, so unfortunately you can't join ours, but you can still sign up for a chance to win a Nathan McKinnon jersey. 
through fantrax.com forward slash DTG for a chance to win that jersey, create a, create a new league, join a custom one. It's the best, most customizable fantasy platform out there. You're going to love it. You will not You will not regret it. And you can you know, kind of convert your old leagues from Yahoo, ESPN, or other platforms, CBS, bring them into this league. There's, there's a whole, you know, transfer platform. They'll, bring, they'll do it for you. Um, super easy, and you won't go back. Trust me. So check that out, fantrax.com forward slash DTG. So why the switch from left wing to D? Because that's that's a very rare thing for a left wing to go to a D. Usually you see it the other way where it's like, okay, this guy's a D man. He's not very good in his own end. Let's put him on forward. Why? How does that happen, especially in college? What's what's going on with that story? Yeah, it's a good one. I, I mean, I, I, I had transitioned quite a few times throughout my career. I started out as a defenseman playing, and, and as a young player, I was scoring a lot of points as a defenseman. So I don't know why, but somebody was like, oh, it's intuitive. Let's put him, let's turn him into a forward. So I think at about 12, 13 years old, they turned me into a forward. Okay. And I got a scholarship, as I mentioned, as a forward. And I had a like really lackluster first year and wasn't doing much during my second year. And it happened to be the lockout year of 1994-95. And at that time, Randy McKay and Jim Storm and a few other guys came in and they were practicing with us. They're from up there. And and Pierre Paget, the you know, sort of infamous coach, came in for two weeks. He was a friend of our coach, Bob Mancini. And he did like a review of the of the team, right? And at the end of the two weeks, Bob called me in his office. He said, "Hey, do you want to know what what uh, what Pierre said?" And I said, um, "Yeah, sure. What what's the scoop?" He said, "Try try Sutton on defense." And he's like, "What do you what do you think?" I was like, "Yeah, let's let's go for it. What the hell? I got nothing to lose, right? I wasn't. I think I had four points my first year. Hardly played. You know, I didn't see I didn't see anything in the future for me, honestly, for hockey. Like I was like, maybe if I toy around in the East Coast League for a year or two, I'll shut her down and then I'll go back to school. I always wanted to be a family doctor. That was the thing I was going to do. Um, you know, and still had like strong aspirations to 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 try to accomplish things. So I'm like, I'll be a family doctor with an engineering degree. I've never been short on you know on uh, ambition. Um, so then you know to, to jump into that was a challenge as you can imagine on the big ice like I was exposed and but you know I went made it through that year my junior year I had a surgery and and it was a tough year I think I had a like a very lackluster year that year and then I don't know what the heck happened but the senior season everything everything I touched worked you know I had uh, I think I won defensive player of the year that year and and was an all-american and then I had 14 NHL teams try to sign me no kidding after my last game because I was never drafted think about that it's crazy six foot seven and I could skate decent like nobody ever said oh we're going to take a shot on this guy in the seventh round so I was a free agent and um which which really worked out in my favor because I really got a chance to pick where I wanted to play um so I turned down a little bit more money from uh, the St. Louis Blues at the time they had Pronger and McInnes and all those guys I was like I'm never going to get any any ice time here and San Jose had some older players so I was like this this is where I should go you know, Gary Suter was there, Jeff Norton, Brian Marchman, Bob Rouse. I mean, just like all these legends. And uh, so I got a chance to go in there and, 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 and play. And then when I went back to Minnesota, this is the other sort of pivot point for me is like I was in Minnesota, Jacques Lemaire, um, you know, starts playing me in front of the net on the power play. I get a few goals, you know, he's, then he's putting me out for sh- certain shifts in the, the games. He's like, this kid can play forward he puts me back on forward again. And then I get injured and come back from the injury. I'm not really getting ice time. And I say to Mike Ramsey, the D coach at the time, I say, Mike, I think I'm just meant to be a defenseman in the NHL. And he looked me square in the face and he goes, 
kid, you're never going to be a defenseman in this league. Well, Rammer was, said that. Rammer said that to me. So I've never had, had a chance to chat with him, you know, after that, because I think I, I think I piled on 11 or 12 more years after that um, as a defenseman. So, but it, I went in and, and, you know, went into dog. Think about this. Like I'm in my fourth year in the league. And I go, you know, have that conversation. I talk to Jacques Lemaire. I go in and talk to Doug Risebrow. And I'm like, hey, yeah. Doug, if, if it's not too much trouble, like, would it be okay if you, if there's somewhere that wanted me as a defenseman? This is exactly what I said to him as like a 24-year-old. Is there, if there's anywhere that would want me as a defenseman, I would really appreciate it if, you, if you'd be like, take a look at trading me. And he traded me to Atlanta seven days later. Is that right? Yeah. So just like, you know, such a, such an interesting course of events, you know, just like, where you're supposed to be and then just having faith in your, in your abilities or whatever you think your destiny is and just sticking to your guns, you know? Well, even we had David Backus on, he always talks about these little moments that shaped and molded his career. It's like, if that guy doesn't, if there's no lockout, those guys don't come to Michigan tech. He doesn't tell your coach to put you on defense. If you don't have the chutzpah to go to Doug Reisbrower to kind of tell him like, Hey, do you mind trading me? Which is very bold for a 24 year old kid to do. And at that time, I'm guessing you're not, a top player. You're still a bubble guy in and out of the lineup. So to say that is nuts. And then to have Reisbrower be cool with it. Cause I know Doug, he was my first GM. He's a great guy yeah. for him to respect that and be like, all right, I'll shop you around. Yeah. Like, it's just crazy how things work out. And then you go to Atlanta yeah. and it's just like downhill from there. You become this powerhouse defenseman who plays a ton of minutes and just is a solid force in the NHL for the next 10, some years. So it's really, really, really cool. And I wanted to jump back to the Michigan Tech thing because we breezed over that. What did you do different your senior year? You obviously probably got some power play time. Did you just think you saw the game slower? Because it's not like you're playing against nobodies in that league. Like you're playing against the powerhouses in the NCAA. So what – I know you've probably talked about this a million times. Why do you go from, cause you had three points your first year, four, your second, nine, your third, then you have 40 points in 38 games. That's not like if there's a steroids for skill, you took something. What happened? Well, and I do, I do talk about this a lot because there's a, there's a couple things. There's two things. And I, I know you guys can attest this. Like when you're, you think about Johnny, like the times when you're playing four or five minutes a game because you're in that role and, and what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Like, how do you really prove yourself in four or five minutes to where you're still going to get 12 minutes and then 20 minutes? It, th- there's a chicken and egg thing that happens. And that year in particular, um, it, it worked out to where I was given the opportunity. I excelled in the opportunity. But before that, and any time I've ever done anything meaningful in my life, there's always been a place where you say to yourself, I don't care about the result. I'm going to just dive into the process. I'm going to trust my instincts. And that's what, that's what it was. Anytime that I was able to do that in my NHL career, definitely that happened in my senior campaign. It happens now in business with me where like, you know, you, you, you second guess things and those things where you're like pushing water uphill, they never work. They're not really meant for you in the first place. So I feel like it's sometimes trusting the process and just going through it and bringing, bringing every skill and attribute that you've been, been able to amass to that, situation and then just trusting your instincts is great but then there's invariably going to be mistakes made right so here's where the rub is you've got to have a coach that's willing to stick with you to where they keep putting you back on the ice because if you start sitting players in the press box 
right? Then I don't think that works for anybody. Then your confidence is, you know, and it, it might work for the odd player where he's like, you know, heck with you. I'm going to go, I'm going to go and show you what you did was wrong. But I think for a lot of guys, it's, it's, it's diminishing to the, to the level of confidence that you have. And I I think versus like the coach that's like, it's okay. Like we're going to get this back. And I think that most players, you know, base nature is to give, so much more when they feel like they've let the team down. So I think it's inherent where you're going to go above and beyond to try to repair that mistake anyways. So I don't think that the coaches that, that sort of operate that way are, are the, are the ones that are going to get the most out of their players and certainly not the most respect. Yeah. The trust factor is huge. Obviously we've seen players or careers ruined because either a, they, they don't get the confidence from their coaches or GMs, or I think sometimes they just don't give them time to grow. So that, yeah, very, very, very true. So let's that senior season, you leave early, you leave tech early, which is normal. You know, players after their senior season, we go, we see it every single year. They go and they they contribute to a playoff team. You leave and you sign with San Jose. You mentioned you have 14 teams courting you. It's funny, when I left my senior season, I had 14 East Coast teams, East Coast teams courting me, which is we're very similar in that <laughs> regard, Andy. But do you regret leaving early? Because I know you go to San Jose, and I was looking at your numbers, looking at your stats. You didn't really get a fair shake in San Jose from the looks of it. You you go right to Kentucky. You finish off the season in the AHL. You don't get a sniff what it looks like in San Jose, and you kind of bounce up and down with San Jose the next two years. Do you regret signing with San Jose? Do you regret leaving early? Like, what what is your mindset when you go to San Jose? And they're like, go to Kentucky, and then the next year, you don't get that chance in San Jose. Well, leaving early wasn't even a – wasn't even a question, you know, you were gone. Yeah, I was gone. I was so excited. You know, I'd come off a great season. I was healthy. I was in game shape. So I, they wanted me to go, go down and, and, and do the playoffs with, with Kentucky, with the Thoroughblades, what a great team name. So I go down there and, you know, and this is something I'm sure we're going to touch on, like be, being a big guy and knowing what I know about the NHL and back in the, you know, in the late nineties, I mean, every, every team had four or five guys that could really chuck them. Right. So you go, I go down there and I get in a bunch of scraps and I do well. And I, I can remember how fortunate I was like at the end of that season in Kentucky, I got called up to be a black ace with the sharks. So I got a chance to go in there and, and spend quite a bit of time with the players, get to know the coaching staff and the, and the trainers and all that stuff. And I ended up, I ended up staying there that summer and I had a shoulder surgery because they wanted me strong and I got to train with the strength coach. And then when I came into rookie camp that year, I already felt comfortable. So again, like if they don't invite me up for that and I don't have that experience, I don't re- get to rehab the shoulder properly and do all the things I needed to do, get in shape, like from an NHL trainer, not just like going back to Kingston, Ontario and trying to figure out how to get in shape. Like I got a chance to go in and, and, and I made the team out of camp. And we had Brad Stewart and Scott Hannon and all three of us made the team out of camp. We were all like five, six, seven defensemen, you know, and this is with, like I said, like Gary, Gary Suter and Jeff Norton and Brian Marchman and Marcus Ragnarsson and Mike Rathje. I mean, we had like, we had some really great players. So the thing that hurt me in that experience was the fact that Lexington was so far away and they didn't send me, they wouldn't send me up and down. So I'd end up sitting watching 10, 15, 20 games, getting bag skated by Paul Baxter every day. Well, I ended, I ended up punching him in the throat one day at, at the end. Of, I swear, one day at the end, he came at me, and I I kind of like balked back because he'd been he'd been on a mission to break me, kind of. And is and, this uh, your assistant coach? Who is this guy? 
this is the assistant coach. He's a guy who had almost 500 pims in one in one season when he played back in the day. And he was pushing me so hard. I think he was instructed to do so. They're like, we got to toughen this kid up, you know? Um, and then one day I just, I just literally snapped. He got clean. He kind of came at me a little bit. And I, my, my base reaction was just to jab him in the throat. And I, <laughs> he couldn't breathe. He was done. I'm like, Oh my God, what have I done? My career's over. Right. No, nobody said a word of it. I didn't go in and talk to Dean Lombardi, the GM or anything. I didn't even mention it. And I go out for practice the next day and I'm skating around the rink. I'm like, this has got to be it. Like something's going to happen. Somebody's going to jump me. They're going to kick me off the ice. And he came up to me and apologized. He actually apologized to me for pushing me so hard. So that was like a really interesting experience, you know, but that, that was sort of symbolic of what happened there. Like I, I could never really get, get in consistently. And I don't think I played consistently. I don't think I deserved it. And I had a big chip on my shoulder, like to prove myself. And I was probably, you know, in, in a crisis of identity too, you know, like fighting the Scott Parkers of the world and Matt Johnson's and all those, you know, all those guys that were in that conference back then. And, and that's really not my base, like nature, you know, and I, I, I don't know how it felt for you, John, but for me, like, I fought to protect my style of play and teammates, but like when I, when I'd see you on the ice and I'd be like, like, I really don't want to fight Scotty. And I was like, that's what you, that's what you did so well, you know, and the guys that do it well, it's like another level, you know, I can't be doing this. I'm going to, I, I just can't be doing this, you know, night in, night out. So it was, it was more, I think just trying to figure out my identity from there. And Minnesota was kind of that tipping point, I think. And, and just, you know, there's always that space where, you know, in the matrix, when, when Neo realizes he's Neo, you know, and then everything unlocks, it's kind of like that, right? Like, yeah. And it's all about, it's all about faith in yourself and trusting yourself and trusting whatever the, that journey means for you, you know? Yeah. You mentioned just creating space and trying to protect the way you played. And when I, I Googled you and the YouTube hits come up, there's, dozens and dozens and dozens of Andy Sutton hits. And I, I likened it to a Cronwall, but in the neutral zone more, but you come a greater distance from the center of the ice and you just throw your whole behind and side into guys and you just bury guys. It's unbelievable. And it's effective when it's Cronwall because he's six foot one, whatever you're six, 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 seven, two fifty. How did you come up with this hitting style because it's very rare not a lot of guys can do it it takes a lot of timing and if you miss you look like a fool you go flying into the boards and the guy just jumps around you yeah. how does this come about and how did you become so effective at it to the point where you're like just murdering guys well i'll tell you like i think i was always kind of enamored by that you know by the the guys that could do that you know thinking about the scott stevens of the world and watching these guys and and just being like, well, like that, I'd rather have a hit like that than score a goal anytime. And it, and then I go into San Jose and we've got Brian March in there. I mean, talk about a guy that like, if you saw yeah. close off, you'd be like, there's no way this guy's an athlete, but just Bag like of milk, heart of a lion, like just unbelievable and so tough. And mu- like mushy, mushy knocked like he'd knocked like three, four guys out of season. I like uh, lights out. And then like the tough guy would come and fight him and he, he beat the tough guy up too. Like, is he just threw both hands? It was crazy. So I got a chance to, you know, experience watching a lot of games with him in it and just how, like, how fearless he was, right? And, and how, how many hits you'd make that would all really alter the course of the game. So then, you know, like everything else, there was a learning curve. I can remember I, I tried that patented hit one time in, in Minnesota and I missed the guy and I went like full bore, my body, my head, everything against the boards mm-hmm. in the class and like halfway knocked myself out and they went down and scored. I missed late in my career in Edmonton. Bertuzzi went around me and tucked, tucked one under the bar and it ended up being the thing that really was the thing that ended my career. When I was in Edmonton, I got suspended twice in a row. Um, and I can remember I came in for practice the one day 
and all the all the brass was down in the coach's room and and I was like what's going on here Tom Rennie because they say Suts can you come in I was like sure sure I come in and they got on the big screen there it's Brent, Brendan Shanahan like his head's like this big and and they're like sit down for a second I sit down and Shanahan's like Sutsy like you've been back for four games since the two suspensions and I honestly I could have already suspended you two more times so he pulls up like two or three more hits that I'd had since I came back. He's like, you have to figure something out or I'm going to make the biggest example out of you and your career will be done. No kidding. That was writing on the wall for me. You know, the game had changed as you guys, I'm sure have talked about a million times, like these puck moving defensemen or whatever. And it's funny how it's come back now. And the guys that like played the way that that we used to play is are are back and, you know, and, and coveted again, but the, at that time, like it was moving the other direction. So you know, again, again, like I saw the writing on the wall and thankfully I had signed another year extension. And then, you know, Tom Rennie called me in at the end of that season and, and said, you know, Sutsy next year, you're going to play like 30, 40 games. Like we got, we got all these young guys. And, and I just looked at him and said, well, you know, I'm not going to accept that. Right. So I, I go into that summer and I'm going to train my ass up and, and I'm training like crazy going so hard. And I ended up breaking off a piece of my femur in my, inside my knee joint. Um, and it ended up being basically a career ending injury. So that was, that was the end of it. Very, uh, very anticlimactic for sure. What is your number one hit that you look back on? And you're like, gosh, that was perfectly timed. That was my favorite hit. Well, and it's funny how I feel about it now, because like the, the one that was insane was the Leopold one. Ooh, I know Leo. Yeah. The playoffs. And I, and I think about that now, you know, there's a man with a, you know, with a family and a whole life after, and I don't know how you feel about this, John, like you know, I knocked out a lot of players and it with hits and stuff and hurt people. And I was, you know, when you hit, I, when I would hit, I would hit to hurt. And that was just the way that I was instructed to do that. Um, but like thinking about it now, like, I don't even feel proud of that situation. You know, like at the time it was like, it was insanely intense just because like, you're in the playoffs against the Pittsburgh Penguins in their prime. It was the first time I got a chance to really play for a, for a cup contender. You know, I get traded to Ottawa at the deadline and I had had probably my best season that year. And, and, you know, I was, I was super into it and, you know, it was, it was a, it was a series changing event, you know, that hit, but at the same point in time, looking back now, I'm like, I don't, would I be proud of my son watch that on YouTube? Like, I, I don't think I would, you know, and, and when people, when reputation precedes you and you walk into a room and people are like, yeah, we YouTube you. And like, <laughs> you know, in a way it's nice because if, if they get a chance to get to know me, they're like, oh, he's actually fairly intelligent. And he, you know, they, they, they're, they're disarmed or, or like maybe even amazed that I could do that type of thing. But, you know, there's always that piece where, you know, and I'm sure you had to do it too, John, like where you have to, you have to put on a, a, a different hat, a different game face to be able to do your job. Right. And that's the thing. Like you, 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 once you get into it and you realize how incredible it is and how hard you have to fight to stay there, um, you know, it becomes almost like a, like a badge of honor of the things you have to do, whether it's blocking shots or taking punches to the face or whatever, or hitting people, whatever it is. And then you look back and in hindsight and you're like, Holy man, that was, that was a crazy time. Yeah. I still have that reputation of just like a, a salty. Every time I meet new people are like, wow, you're actually, you know, pretty, you know, funny guy. I, I like hanging out with you, but yeah. I embrace it. I'm like, cause I go to a lot of events and places and I just don't want to talk to anybody. And so I just play it up like, oh, Jet John, he's a real a-hole. I'm like, yeah, don't talk to me. Stay away from me. Because it works in your favor sometimes. But, yeah, sure. you do get that reputation. You're like, oh, there's Andy Sutton. He's a dirty player. Sure. You know, he's a predator. Watch out for him. I knew whenever we played you, I was like, okay, watch out for Sutton. If he steps out of line, you're going to have to fight him. He's a tough, right. tough mule. But you were – yeah. You, did you ever – 
adjust your game? Because I talked to the heaviest of the heavyweights, the Steve McIntyre's, the George LaRocks. They would tell me how they they would maybe adjust their game if they played against some some heavy heavyweights. Did you ever go into the rink and you go, gosh, there's – I know you fought all the heavyweights. Like, there's Wade Belak. I'm, I might not finish this check. Did that ever cross your mind? Certain guys it did, for sure. Um, like, Wade, Wade, Wade didn't have that effect on me. And, like, I'd go into Toronto and just being from there and I'd run around because I just, like, had family and stuff there. And yeah. Just, who, who were the guys then who made you second guess? On, honestly, like, Big, Big George, for sure. Larac, uh, definitely Brashear, for sure. I mean, I'll be honest, man. like, when you were on the ice and, and any time I ever saw – and I didn't watch a million highlights or whatever. Any time I ever saw you fight, you just, like – dummy guys you know and i'd just be like that's a guy that i'd rather not get into it with you know so it's like and it was a lot easier for me to play that way when i was playing a lot of minutes because i'd be like yeah i play 30 minutes a night like there's no no way i'm fighting like there's just no way and you i could kind of skirt around it but i remember one time i was in edmonton uh i think i was i think i was with minnesota at the time and i i ended up hitting this uh player on their team and then the scott ferguson came in and 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 dropped the gloves with me and i beat him pretty good and then big george Chased me. He literally chased me around the rest of the game, and and I could I literally couldn't hardly make eye contact with him. I was like, I'm going to get freaking destroyed by this guy, you know. And I don't know if you ever felt this way, but like I I fight certain guys, and and you know I was strong certainly, but like there were guys I'd fight like that person is so strong. Like what am, yeah. what am I doing wrong here? Like just the way they grab you and that hold you and pull you and be like that is just some serious strength. So you you definitely knew what you were up against, and when got certain guys were on the ice. But I think early like early on in my career, I was just I think I just, you know, almost was almost fearless in a way. Like I look back at some of the stuff with, with like Scott Parker and, and um, you know, Matt Johnson and stuff and just trying to make a name for myself. You just kind of go into it, you know, with a, with just reckless abandon. And it's not like you fought a ton, but like you said, if you, if you had to, you know, protect yourself, you, you, you were more than willing to, to drop the gloves. Was, is there one fight or a couple of fights that you remember? This is a fighting show. It's dropping the gloves. We love talking about fighting. Obviously that's what I did. Who, what's the one fight where you're like, yeah, yeah, what's up? Like you fought Ty Domi and you one punched him. What's the, what's the fight where it's like, yeah, I'm Andy Sutton. What's up? Well, you know, it started early where I think I realized like it could be a skill set, you know, and the only reason I got a chance to go to St. Mike's was because I played in this summer tournament and there was like, I think there was four or six teams there. It was like a round robin deal. And it was like an invite only thing. And I remember the first game, a guy named Ken Boone who played in the OHL he picked a fight with me and I absolutely like destroyed him. His face was all messed up and all the other teams were watching because it was the first game. Well, nobody came within five feet of me the rest of the tournament. I won player of the tournament and then I get invited to go play at St. Mike's, which leads me to Michigan Tech. So you, you think about these things. And then even the same thing, I remember the first rookie camp I went into at San Jose. This is one of my favorite stories. So I'm, I'm going to change going off and I'm crossing the red line with another player. My bench is here and this is over here. And we kind of hit like this. He's like, you want, you want some of this? So we dropped the gloves and right at center ice, I bloody this guy so bad. And I didn't even realize, but the entire brass of the sharks was sitting five rows up behind the player benches. So I get off the ice and uh, I don't know if you know who John Ferguson is. And I still like, arguably some people say the toughest player that's ever played the game. Fergie comes up and he's frothing at the mouth. He's like, Oh my God. He's like, this is exactly what we need here. You know? Um, and then I had a few good scraps with, with Reed Simpson. I don't know why I always seem to fight Reed Simpson. And, uh, I caught him with an uppercut in his throat, um, one time and dropped me. He couldn't breathe. He was like laying on the ice. And we had a battle in Chicago 
that I think was like probably two and a half minutes long, which was a crazy, which was a crazy fight. Um, and then, you know, just, you know how it is. It's a zero sum game. You win some, you lose some. I remember, you know, like Rick Rippon dropped me and Mike Rupp dropped me. And I definitely had a few guys that, that, that catch you, catch you pretty good and, and, and send, send you down to the ice, you know, and, you know, Craig Berube knocked me out cold. I, I was in San Jose and I had crumpled Jerome McGinnell up in the, in the corner. I think he was at like 47 goals before he'd ever had 50. <laughs> and I go to the, I go to the box and I don't, I'm not thinking anything other, right. I get out, I get out of serve my time or whatever. And, and the, I get, I get a pass and I'm looking to go D to D. And before I can even turn to make the pass, ruby has got his gloves off and he comes in and just, and I'm just no. lights, lights out. You know, I, <laughs> back then they, they gave us both five for fighting. This is how like the referees used to govern stuff, right? Like a, a, a no name player crumples Jerome McGinley in the corner on his way to his first 50 goal season. And it's five for, it's five for fighting. Each you second. will not touch Jerome. Yeah, I can't believe it. So yeah, there, there's, there's, there's a lot, you know, just, just great stuff over the years. It's just, it's wild. Ding dong, DoorDash is here. Tim, I know the interview is going so well, but I need to stop and order some food. I can't run out and get it. So I got to order some. I'm going to, I just, I just need to do it during this interview. I'm going to DoorDash, but guess what? Guess what's exciting, Tim? What's exciting? Our promo code is activated. That means you get 25% off. You get your first order free when you use our promo code. Now it's tricky. We have listeners. We're, we're all over the world, Tim. We're in China, we're in Australia, we're in USA, we're in China. If you are in the United States, the promo code is GlovesDDUS. If you're in Canada, it's just GlovesDD. Don't ask me why, but that's what it is. So go to DoorDash, use the app, use the website, however you want to get there. DoorDash.com, DoorDash on the app. Our promo code in the U.S. is GlovesDDUS. Just in Canada, it's GlovesDD. So... I'm sorry. It's just, it is what it is. USA is different than Canada. You got to have different promo codes for whatever reason. But the important thing is do DoorDash, use our promo code, and get your tummy full of some yummy foodsy. Back to the interview, Tim. So you fought a lot of heavies, but you also fought some like superstar players too, like Vinny LeCavier. I'm looking at the list now. Again, like you fought him, Ollie Yokin. Any of those have like some good stories behind them? Yeah, I mean, like in, in Atlanta, especially, I started, you know, playing a real lot and my job was to play against the top guys. And, you know, once I realized, you know, how, how hard I had to play against these guys, it became like a, it became something that was just, you know, all consuming, you know, and at, at that time, like when I was in Atlanta, we'd play, we'd play Tampa eight times a year. We hated, we hated them. We play Washington eight times a year, Florida eight times a year. And I'm out against, Ole Jokinen and, and Vinny LeCavalier all to year after year like that. So we just started to hate each other. And then, you know, like Vinny's a, Vinny's a big boy, 6'4", 225, whatever he handled himself. And he kind of jumped me in front of the bench. I think he had enough of my act too. And he, <laughs> he, he gave me a pretty good shiner. And it's, it's like, you know, that I think that's just kind of the way it should be, you know, when, when guys are playing hard. I like the – I like the fights that are spawned more from like the passion in the game than I do the the stuff where like we go up to one and, and John, like John's got to go out and fight the other team's heavyweight. Like that that's not good for that's not good for the game. I don't think I don't think it's good for the the fans or the kids watching. And I think it's I think it's the wrong way to have fighting in the game. Like I think we definitely have to have it in. I think it's one of the special things that we've got in our game and that honor code. But I, I think it should be spawned by the by the passion of play. So you played a lot of games for a lot of teams, a lot of different uh, D partners, I'm sure. Who was the favorite D partner you ever had and why? 
Well, I, I got a chance to play with a lot of good ones. I mean, I got to play with Eric Carlson when I was in Ottawa, which was crazy. And at the time, I was two. I played that year at about two hundred and sixty-five pounds, and and uh, Carl was Carl was one sixty-five. So I had him by a hundred <laughs> pounds. I mean, he could. You talk about being able to dance on the ice. I mean, just insane. Um, and he was he was a good partner in the sense that he was amazing to watch, but incredible, impossible to to uh, to interpret what he was going to do out there, right? So like, I was always kind of just backing him up. But in Atlanta, I I got to play with uh, Nicholas Havlid, just a. Uh, like one of the most professional players I ever played with, like the type of guy that even after back-to-back games and you go in in the morning, like he's the guy on the squat rack, like doing squats and cleans and all that stuff. He's just, he was just insane and, and just such a steady Eddie partner for me and, and invaluable. And, and then I'd say I got to play with Mike Weaver there too. He was, a, he was a great D partner for me. Um, yeah. Some, some great ones along the way. And then even early on in San Jose, getting a chance to, you know, to play with the the Gary Suters of the world and stuff like that and get some shifts with those guys. It was, it was a pretty awesome run. Did you know Carlson was going to be Carlson when you were there? I had no idea. The, the guy is such a legend. Like he literally is a legend. And I, I remember, and I know he does this all the time, I think now, but like uh, we were on the bench to start the period in, in Montreal and he whacked me. He's like, he used to call me old man, which is crazy. I was like 35 years old at the time. He'd be, you ready, you ready, old man? Like this, right? And I'd look over and he's got a big friggin' dip in his mouth. And I'm like, Carl, are you going to play with that? And he, go, he just looks at me and goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and I was just like, this is just uh, just another King Carl. I mean, that's what, we, that's what his nickname was there. And he is, he's just, uh, he's just uh, an enigma, you know, just an incredible enigma. What's been going on with him then? Because uh, honestly, on this show, I, I trash him quite, quite commonly. Just be, and not him personally, but his game is sunk. What? What is going on? Because you think in San Jose they got all those studs. He just hasn't figured it out. Can you put your finger on it? Know that because you played with them. My opinion is that there's a there's a place where we're all meant to shine, and I believe there are certain players that are not supposed to be playing ever playing second fiddle. I think the biggest problem with him is the fact that that Brent Burns is there. No and, kidding. And I think him having to like. Man, maybe man the second power play unit when Burnsy's unit stays out there and gobbles up two thirds of it. I mean, I remember what that was like. If you got the last 25 seconds, you got no time to prove your yeah. value on our play. Those little things, I feel like erode, you know, the, some of the chemistry and maybe even the confidence. And then I think the other thing that, you know, he, he was very fearless and in, in early in his career. And then he had some injuries and I know just from having had as many as I had that, it's really hard to bounce back to 100%. Like, you have to be really committed. You have to be really open to using alternative medicine and different things to get back there. And when you have some of the in- injuries to, like, ankles and feet and things like that that he's had, I, I think it becomes really hard to move the same way, you know? And, and he, 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 that's his thing. Like, if he's not moving well and if he's not moving freely and with that, with that like, unbridled confidence, he's not, he's not Carlson. He's just a different player, you know? Fantrax.com forward slash DTG. Very excited. Our fantasy league, but it took like that and it was full and all the reviews are rave. All the people who signed up the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who are now using Fantrax. Once we started pumping them, they love it. I love it. Go do yourself a favor. Go to Fantrax.com forward slash DTG and have a chance to win yourself a Nathan McKinnon official signed jersey. Have some fun. Do all your fantasy business there. It's a good time. You can have fantasy 365 a day. The good kind of fantasy, sports-related fantasies. That's what we're going to focus on here. Hockey, baseball, football, golf, racing, whatever you want to do. 
Do it on Fantrax.com forward slash DTG. Win yourself a Nathan McKinnon jersey. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, you mentioned your injuries. You you obviously had to cut your, your career short because of your femur. What is Andy Sutton doing now? You're very smart, Michigan Tech grad. All of us are just so – we're geniuses coming out of Michigan Tech. What do you spend your time doing? I know you're a big shot now. Tell me what you're doing with your life because I always hear you got to – Andy Sutton's doing so great. What are you doing that's so great, Andy? Well, I mean, I, I don't see it. I, I don't see it that way necessarily. I mean, I'm in it every day. So it's like the, you know, as an, I'm an entrepreneur for sure. And, and that's a lonely road. You spend a lot of days putting out fires, you know, more than you do celebrating. But I, I started the, the road early, you know, before I, before I finished playing, I started working on some intellectual property development in the protective space and actually started actively licensing that technology while I was still playing. That led me to uh, working as, as president of a multi-brand hockey company for almost five years. And during that time, I in, made some investments in that company. I uh, was part of some acquisitions that occurred while I was there. Really got, got a chance to learn everything about the hockey business. Um, and then cu- cu- was able to couple that with obviously everything I'd, I'd done as, as a player uh, in the game. And I had an opportunity um, to basically take the Verbera hockey brand, which is a brand that's been around for over, over a decade. And I was able to take that outside of, of that institution and run it as a standalone. You know, I was able to take, you know, the best bits of Verbero, the best bits that I learned working as, as president of that other company and everything along the way and put it back together as you see it today. We, we, we created a proprietary software system that allows us to basically auto-generate team stores I acquired an apparel factory because I wanted to make our apparel on demand available 24 seven, 365. I wanted complete control to be able to work directly with, with my own set of manufacturers to be able to turn those goods out. And then really we tripled the industry standard commission rate. We automate commission payouts. We've got everybody from league commissioners to elite prospects um, to, to like uh, single mothers to uh, coaches, uh, fans of the game. We've got uh, about 350 sales reps now. And to put that into context, Bauer had about 50 pre-COVID. So we're, and we're growing at about 2% a week, which is, which is pretty crazy because we let our reps build their own sub-rep forces. So we're letting our, our reps work with their best friends and colleagues. And then we create these sort of micro groups. And then we have a whole inside sales team that basically nurtures them along the way and helps them close deals. So we've We've really become the source for custom products, um, and our team store is definitely the uh, the warehouse for that. And then just uh, you know, just our delivery times are faster because we have more control. We sell everything at player direct pricing, so I, I, we are really able to cut out the middleman. We don't try to sell through wholesale. We don't have all the big CEO bonuses like the other brands. We're not constantly trying to create new products, which just really just drives costs up. We're 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 a best in class company. Like we have the lightest stick on the market at 350 grams. The only full carbon fiber skate, the only 3D printed, full 3D printed, full custom helmet system, the only full uh, custom goalie program. We, we're the only company with a team store uh, software and the only company that owns their own apparel manufacturing. So we've got a lot of really unique things that to go along there. And then also the way we structured our rep system. We've got a family like we're like the social media of, of hockey. We're really we're really connected. You know, I, we're working with um, with a couple really uh, Steve Dubinsky, ex player, um, and he he runs some incredible tournaments um, that has a tournament company. And then he he, he texted me yesterday. He said, "Hey, Andy, do you know Ryan Taylor?" I was like, "Ryan Taylor from Burlington Minor Hockey." Like I played with him the time I was six until I was fourteen. He said, "Yeah, that Ryan Taylor." So he connects Tails and I, who I haven't talked to since I was twelve years old. 
And Ryan runs a bunch of big programs in Chicago, and we're going to talk about, you know, how we can work together. And that's the way our program works, because you guys know how, how small it is, and we're so interested. Yeah. And then we've got about 30 ex-NHLers on staff. We've got several different podcasts that partner with us. Um, uh, we've got about 30 PHPA players and about 20 of the top women in the game. Um, those are all comprised in the 350 reps that we have. So we've, we've got a lot of cool credibility behind what we're doing. And a lot of people have bought in and put their, uh, put their uh, names behind what we're doing. So that's what everyone's talking about. <laughs> okay, now I understand. It's hard to encaps- encapsulate it in a short, uh, in a short uh, synopsis, but that, that's, uh, that's it in a nutshell anyways. Okay, so if I want a stick, I just go on your website and order a, a Vibero stick, and I can have my name on it and everything? Well, the sticks, the sticks we do a custom program. You're going to have to get off your wallet and hit a minimum. Uh, but our can't minimum- do that. <laughs> our minimums are quite low so you, you'll be uh, you'll be happy for sure that's pretty impressive man you got to be pretty happy with that because most guys when they retire they him and ha they they putz around and they get i don't want to say depressed but you know you need to find a purpose in life it's got to be cool to have your, your own company that's it's a big deal it is and i feel really honored by the way it's gone you know it's uh i that we've had all of this growth really through covid so i'm i'm really excited to see what's going to happen when when, when this all ends, all the madness, right? Because we, we've, Canada's hardly even been turned on and we have half our rep force up there. So, you know, I know, I know what we've been able to do here in the U.S. over the last year and a half. And I'm really excited to see when, when things normalize, what this is going to look like, because we're, uh, we're experiencing some really, really incredible things right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where it's going to go. Well, where can my listeners find you? Because all my listeners, they love hockey. They, they all have hockey equipment. So where can they find you to get some gear? Well, you know, verbero.com is, is, is who we are, you know, and ver- verbero is a Latin word. It literally means to beat, lash, scourge, or drum. So we're, we're definitely trying to obliterate the status quo in the market. Um, verbero.com is easy to access. Andy, give them your cell phone. That's what I'm trying to say. They want to get in touch with you. With me? Yeah, well, I mean, if anybody at all is interested in, in joining, joining the sales force, you know, you can email team at verbero.com. I do see those emails. So okay. we, have a, we have a whole staff that sort of triage those things. But team at verbero.com is, is where you can go to get answers on anything. Um, it's, a, it's a great thing. You know, what, we've got people that do this full time. We've got one, one rep that's got, I think, almost 40 sub reps. And he's absolutely, absolutely crushing it because I mean, you earn on your sub rep sales and then all the sales that he brings in directly, he earns more money on. Um, and it's, it's a great thing just to, to complement other things you're doing. And that's the other thing, like even you, you guys, you're, you're spending all this time in hockey, coaches, you know, managers, commissioners, hockey moms, hockey dads, you're spending your life there anyways. So you might as well have this beautiful thing to talk about and, and hopefully earn from. And the cool thing about it is like once we tie our reps to an account, we keep them tied to the account. So whether it's a team store, a purchase that they get paid on or a bulk order or anything associated with the, with the team that their association that they brought in, they get paid on it. And it's sort of like a, it's sort of like an annuity in that regard. It's be- it is beautiful, Andy. Thank you, John. So beautiful. Just like that smile of yours. My goodness. I had no idea. So uh, it's, handsome. Been, it's been a lot of work. I'll tell you, it's, it's been, uh, it's been an insane amount of work. And thankfully I've, I've got a lot of really amazing inspired people by my side that help, help us get this all done. But it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely come be, become a life of its own for sure. Well, that's a good thing. I'm very happy for another Michigan tech grad, just being successful, Tim. What can I say? We, we cannot fail Michigan Tech grads. It's, it's ingrained in us. 
Well, you got to make it through the gauntlet up there. That's why four, four years of four years of tech is uh, uh, it's not easy. Four years up there, I'll tell you what. But anyways, I, Andy, thank you. I'm sure you have conference calls to get through. I'm sure you got to talk to your board of governors, all your acquisitions. It's very exciting things. It's beautiful. Thank you for joining us, Tim. Any last words? No, thanks for coming on, man. This has been great. Our listeners are going to love it. Great. I'm glad, guys. Thanks so much for, for doing this. I, I don't know if you guys want to talk about the Danbury Trasher stuff or not, but I think it's very newsworthy for, for the fans of fighting, for sure. But we, we got an exclusive partnership with, with the Danbury Trashers to do their gameware, their authentic gameware, and we're partnered up with AJ Galante. And it's been a, that's been a really cool thing the last, uh, the last seven days or so. Well, if you want some Dansbury Trashers, email Andy at Andy at Verbarrel.com. Hey, no, 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 no. Team at Verbarrel, please. Oh, team at Verbarrel. Excuse me. I would never give out your personal email. But yes, get in touch with Verbarrel. They got lots of cool stuff. And then, you know, give Andy, drop him a line. He's a good guy. But uh, thank you, Andy, for jumping on the show. It was a pleasure, my friend. Yeah, like All the success you are due. Anything, Tim, anything else? Last, last second? That's it, man. Thank you for coming on. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.